We're going to continue in our series in Colossians. We're still in the book of Colossians, and we are making our way through it. Um, this was this was as challenging a passage as I have faced in many, many, many years. I was reading Douglas Moo's commentary on this passage, this section, and in He's, and one of the verses in this section, he says, is one of the most difficult verses in the Bible, as if I already didn't know that. <laughs> and I hope today to serve you well as we study God's Word. Read with me, beginning in Colossians chapter 2, and look at verse 16. Paul writes, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Well, Lord, I... I ask for your help this morning. Lord, I have no confidence in my ability, but I have great confidence in you and your word. And so, Lord, I ask you to speak to your church this morning. These are your people, these people that you sent your son to redeem. Lord, please open their ears and open their eyes and Give them hearts to receive your words, Lord. Lord, thank you for your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the the final verses of chapter 2 summarize the danger that is facing this young Colossian church with Paul's giving warnings and commands and and an expectation to protect them from the false teachers that are proclaiming a false doctrine that to be truly spiritual, one needs more than the gospel. That is their message. Verse 16, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or 
a Sabbath. They are proclaiming that to be truly spiritual, what you eat and what you drink and the festivals, celebrations you keep and the Sabbath you keep are crucial. And they proclaim these things. And what they're simply stating is that the simplicity of the gospel is too simple. The simplicity of the gospel is too simple. The gospel is not enough. And to experience the fullness of Christ, something more is needed. More like what you eat, watching what you drink, what festivals you participate in, keeping the Sabbath. And as he goes on in verse 18, they insist upon asceticism, which is uh, another, the Greek would be actually meaning false humility, uh, uh, keeping uh, an austere lifestyle, and the worship of angels. Going on in detail about visions that you've had and being puffed up a pride and an arrogance because of a sensuous mind because they have not held fast, Paul writes, to the head, not holding fast to Christ, that they've abandoned the simplicity of the gospel. They've looked to add to the gospel. What, what can we bring from our own life to this gospel to make it fuller, to make it more real, to make it more powerful? Oh, simply stated, the gospel was too, too simple. Much of what these false teachers brought forth in their message was to taken directly from Judaism. So when we read in verse 16, therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, they're talking about, they're, they're coming from their, their Jewish background and they're talking to a group of people who are Jewish by birth primarily, except there are some Gentiles in this church, but they're primarily talking to Jews. And so they're communicating to them, look, we had this, this religious life that was rooted in these experiences of how we ate, ceremonial laws, the, the good things to eat and the, the, the things not to eat, the things to drink and the things not to drink. And we celebrated these festivals. We celebrated the Passover. We celebrated Purim. We celebrated Hanukkah. We celebrated Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. These are important things that we must remember, and we kept the Sabbath. And to the Colossian, the young Colossian believers, this would be an appeal to them and appealing to them. Yeah, this is how we lived. This was important to us. And so they would, they would be compelled, they would be pressured to add this Judaism because as they look back over history, they go back just a couple of centuries. Men and women died as they would refuse to eat defiled food. Men and women would be put to death 
as they attempted to keep the, ho- the high holy days of Yom Kippur. And so they would look back to the history. And so these, these things that we read here, food and drink and festivals and new moons and the Sabbath, they're not evil things. They were the things, they were the foundations that undergirded the very nation of Israel. But Paul wisely says, no, no, let no one pass judgment that you no longer keep these things because, as he says in verse 17, these are a shadow of the things to come. These were the things that were a shadow, a, a picture of what was going to come. What was going to come? Christ. That's who was going to come. And what these things were, these these sacrifices that were made for the atoning work of, to to atone for sin, the, the sacrifices made on behalf of the community of Israel, these things were a shadow. And to go back to these things is to deny the complete and full work of the Gospel through Jesus Christ. And so Paul says to them, these are just a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Food, drink, festivals, and the Sabbath, they were all ceremonial and civil laws established by Moses for the good of the nation of Israel. But as Paul carefully in this verse reminds the Colossians that they are shadows. He says he wants to draw them back to what he had previously said in the, the verses chapter, in chapter 2, 6 through 15, where again and again he talks to them about, for in him, in Christ, the fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in Christ, in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. In him. God made you alive together with him. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. All of what Israel experienced was just a shadow. And the substance, Paul writes, belongs to Christ because you are in Him. And that is Paul's Paul's way of battling and combating this false teaching is to turn their attention away from this picture of the past, these things, these shadows of the past, and to embrace the fullness of what it means to be in Him. I watch, as you know, I watch Hallmark movies, especially Hallmark Christmas movies. I am a weeper by design, and the, some point in the movie, Marilyn is just handing me tissues as I am weeping. And there is one particular uh, Hallmark movie from about five or six years ago where this soldier in, in Iraq has a, 
has a buddy killed and he goes home on leave and um, but during before he heads home he's he's looking at a picture it's a picture of someone that he cares about and he looks at that picture and he and he just studies that picture but when he gets home and that person is there to meet him they don't run to each other and then pull out the pictures and look at the pictures and kiss the pictures and hug the pictures no those are just the shadow of who they are no they they embrace and that is what paul wants us to understand here christ is not a picture and he's not a shadow he's substance he's full and you are in him and all you need is in him you have no need of shadows you have no need of festivals you have no need of keeping to certain dietary laws and cer- certain civil laws and and ceremonies you have christ you are in him these false teachers had seriously distorted the understanding of law and grace and paul insightfully knows that this distortion of law and grace distorts the gospel these false teachers were adding law not but i want to i want us to be careful because we can we can miss the goodness of the law we can quickly equate law with legalism we can distort that and that is a serious mistake scientists at nasa have developed a gun for the purpose of launching dead chickens it is used to shoot a dead chicken at the windshield of airline jets military jets or the space shuttle at the vehicle's maximum traveling velocity the idea being that it would simulate the frequent incidents of collisions with airborne fowl and therefore determine if the windshields are strong enough to endure high speed bird strikes british engineers upon hearing of the gun were eager to test it on the windshields of their new high speed trains however upon firing the gun the british engineers watched in shock as the chicken shattered the windshield smashed through the control console snapped the engineer's backrest in two and embedded itself in the back wall of the cabin horrified and puzzled the engineer sent nasa the results of the experiment along with the designs of the windshield and asked nasa scientists for any suggestions the nasa scientists sent back a very brief response thaw the chicken <laughs> these scientists missed the most crucial element of the experiment frozen birds never fly into airplane windshields they distorted the results and in the same way it is true of false teaching it misses the gospel it distorts what the gospel really is it distorts the truth it wrongly tried to create true spirituality that's what these men did they tried to create true spirituality by distorting the truth with the only thing 
that could distort the truth, which is the adding to the gospel. The only thing that creates true spirituality in us is the gospel. The story of the gospel that Christ has died for our sins. That He came and lived a sinless life. And He came and He died on a cross and He rose from the dead and He ascended into heaven and He will return one day. Our gospel. And that by putting faith in Him, as we come to faith in Christ, we are in Christ and He is in us. And Paul again and again to the Colossians says, you are in Him. That is all you need. You have no need to add anything to this. Therefore, Paul says in verse 16, therefore, he's looking back to what he just said about being in Christ. Therefore, let no one do these things. Let no one pass judgment on you in regards to these things. In verse 18, let no one disqualify you in insisting on certain practices of asceticism and worship of angels and going in detail about visions and being puffed up by a sensuous mind and not holding fast to the body of to the head of the body. Paul is, in a sense, trying to keep the windshield of the gospel from being obliterated under false doctrine that is being pressed upon these young believers. Don't let the truth of law and grace that you learned in the gospel be distorted is what Paul is saying. And we live in a day and age where evangelicals are so easily drawn into adding to the gospel. Just walk into any Christian bookstore although they become more few and few as time goes on because of online buying. But still, look at the latest and greatest titles that are out there. Many are a distortion of the gospel. Many are heresy in their writing. Go find one book on simply what it means to be in Christ. And Paul is warning these dear brothers and sisters, you received the gospel in full. Look at verse 9 of chapter 2. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him. Therefore, Paul says, let no one tell you otherwise. Let no one pass judgment on. Let no book, let no teaching, let no persuasive speaker, let no charismatic preacher dissuade you otherwise from the simplicity of this truth. For in him, 
the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily in Christ alone. Not in new moon festivals, not in the Sabbath, not in food and drink, not in asceticism, not in the worship of angels. Nothing. Nothing is more important to you and your relationship with God and your walk with Christ than the truth that for in Him all the fullness of the deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in Him. That is your gospel. That is the simplicity of your gospel. These false teachers were demanding that these people adhere to Old Testament dietary laws, commitment to the Jewish festivals. They were demanding a spirituality based on false humility and idolatry. They were demanding practices that have no value in helping a Christian live for Christ. None of these things help a Christian live for Christ. A a legalistic approach to the Christian life might look wise, Paul writes, as you look in verse 22 or 21, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that are all that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teaching these indeed have an appearance of wisdom oh it looks so wise when we keep these things it looks so wise when we live an ascetic lifestyle it looks so wise when we talk about deep spiritual visions and places we've been it looks so wise paul says they mean nothing They mean nothing. And all they do is create a life that is legalistic in attempting to add something to the gospel. Man-made rules have no value, no spiritual value in spiritual transformation. But the gospel of Jesus Christ does. And in verse 21 and 22, I think Paul is mocking what these men are trying to propose to demand. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. I think he's ridiculing them there, using their phraseology to say these things are worthless. And so for us, brothers and sisters, to rightly live a transformed life in the simplicity of the gospel, we've got to clearly understand how law and grace actually work. Because I think we as believers can still distort what law and grace are. And to misunderstand law and grace is to wrongly create a belief about God and a view of God that is false and it is damaging to our walk with God. Verse 6 says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him as you've received him. How did you receive him? You didn't receive him by doing anything other than responding to the regenerating work of God's Spirit in your heart. You didn't earn anything for your salvation. You brought no contribution. 
Paul is quick to remind them that they are to walk in Christ in the way that they received him. And we must be careful that we don't misunderstand this idea that Paul is coming across that, look, there are, there are legalistic issues here. But there's also grace here. In this passage, we are seeing grace abound. But we're also seeing legalism abound. But when I'm saying legalism and grace, I don't want you to hear actually law and legalism as synonymous. They're not. They're not synonymous and when I, we have to be careful we don't confuse those two. Paul is combating legalism in this passage. He's not combating law. He's not combating the Ten Commandments. He's combating legalism, approach to and how we define our Christian life with God. He is approaching and combating legalism. He's not combating law. And there's another term that we must understand, and please forgive me, because I am, um, when I say I am not a, I'm not a PhD theologian. No, no, Devin is working on that, and I'm grateful. Now, I'm, I'm a Bachelor of Science in Education with a degree in Physical Education and Health. So I'm a BSED. That's as good as it gets. But I am a theologian because I study God, and I believe God, and I learn about God, and I live my life under the sovereignty of God. And we are all theologians. There isn't anyone in this room who, is a theo- who isn't a theologian. And there's no time when you take off your theology hat. You're always wearing your theology hat because you always believe something about God. And you always live the way you believe. You always follow that belief system. And so as I'm talking about some of these things, law and legalism, I don't want you to get mired down in terminology. I want you to, I want you to get mired down in truth. That this is all about Christ and our seeing Christ and our relating to Christ and our living in Him. And what it is that can interrupt that, that can sidetrack that, what can undermine our faith in Christ and our walk in Christ. And that is this issue of of legalism. But it also can be an issue of And I don't want to say excessive grace. I want to use the word that the theologians use, and it's called antinomianism. And it's just a long word that simply means against the law. In other words, people's response to legalism is there is no law at all. I don't have to live under any law. I'm free in Christ. There is no responsibilities now. All these festivals and all these Jewish holidays and all these Jewish civil and ceremonial laws, they're done. They were the shadow. True. And everything, the substance is in Christ. True. But the Ten Commandments still live. And I still live under the laws of God, the commands of God. I mean, we're finishing up in chapter 2 today. We're finishing up this theological work about what we're to do when we face legalism. And Paul's response isn't to say, the law is done. Go 
Have a free time. Do what you want. No, he jumps right into verse 1 of chapter 3. If, you, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. If you've died with Christ and your life is hidden with Christ and God, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. He goes on to give law. He goes on to give commands. And so we must understand the difference between legalism and law and what our response is to be. And it's not to be some licentious freedom that, oh, I can do whatever I want. No, in fact, in Galatians 5, Paul addresses this in verse 13. He says, for you were called to freedom. Brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Paul addresses it again in Romans 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, hey, the more we sin, the more God gives us grace. How good is that? I can live and do whatever I want? No. No. So two questions I want to quickly answer is, what is legalism and what is antinomianism or what is anti-law? What, what is legalism? Well, legalism is not the law of God, as I have said. The law of God is actually an expression of God's grace. Jesus said he came to fulfill the law. And when Paul deals with legalism in this passage and in others, he never does so at the expense of the law. The commands of God. He instead explains the law, the commands of God, our obedience to God in its proper place, our pursuit of holiness in its proper place. Make no mistake, Paul hates legalism. Paul hates legalism so much he told the Galatian leaders that if they were going to continue in the anti-gospel life that they were pursuing, to go ahead and mutilate themselves. And that is a kind word of saying, castrate yourselves. If you're going to be pushing circumcision, physical circumcision on people because the circumcision of the heart comes through Christ. Paul hates legalism, but he understands legalism to be more than trying to earn our salvation by doing good works. If that's your definition of legalism, it's way too simple. Legalism is more serious than this, as Paul tells us here in Colossians. It's not only a distortion of the gospel, it's a distortion of the law. The law doesn't produce legalism in us. That's the point Paul is trying to make. <laughs> The law doesn't produce legalism in us. Our own hearts produce legalism in us. We, we like boundaries. We, we like things in their place. We like knowing that if I, a, if I do this, I get this. Paul sees the goodness of the law. In Romans 7... Paul wonderfully describes the law. He says, what shall we say then? 
that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would have not known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. So he he just says, look, the law just showed me who I was. It showed me my need for a savior. But the law didn't produce sin in me. It doesn't produce legalism in us. The law's intention is always for our good. Sinclair Ferguson said this, its condemning character is not the result of anything inherent in the law, but the evil that's inherent in us. In other words, when we feel condemned by the law, it's not because the law is evil, it's because we're evil. The law has a holy purpose, while legalism has no godly purpose. The law's intention is always for our good. It was given to us to protect us, to provide for us, to promise a better future for us. And it still functions this way when approached biblically, when we obey the commands of God the laws of God. We no lo- longer live under ceremonial law that the, the Israelites did. We no longer live under their civil laws. You know, we don't have to sacrifice anymore, but we do obey the Ten Commandments. And we do live under the laws of Christ. To obey God's laws, it's not legalistic. So these things, let no one pass judgment on you on food and drink. And yeah, Paul's right. Those things are over. That's a shadow. So Paul establishes what is the past and what is legalistic, but he moves on to the future as we will get to in chapter 3. Sinclair Ferguson again said this. He said, legalism is simply separating the law of God from the person of God. Let me say that again. Legalism is simply separating the law of God from the person of God. Eve saw God's law, but lost sight of the true God. Who offered, God offered Eve an abundance. He said, look, you can eat from every tree in the garden, but one. And Eve's tunnel vision, she saw only one tree in the garden. And said, I can't eat from that. And the abundance of God's goodness got lost to her. That's where legalism and law, we get stranded. We cannot lose sight of God and his goodness and his abundance to us in the law. Because when we do, that's when we become legalistic. We, we give into the pressures of living life for uh, it's what I eat or, or what I drink or what essential oils I slap on my face or my wife puts on my face or what diet I have. I can't tell you. This was back probably in the 90s. Um, it was called, I'm trying to remember, it, it, was, it, was, the, it was some liquid green stuff from outer space and um, it was the barley green diet, if I remember correctly. And, and every, it, it's, it was making its 
way, it was a fad. It was a fad, and it was making its way through the church, and not just any church. It was making its way through Sovereign Grace churches, and the idea was that if you drink barley green, you're going to live so many more years. And I just think, not I'm, first of all, I'm not putting that green slime liquid down into my body. And secondly, it's just the pressure that people put on you. So why aren't you using barley green? Because it doesn't taste good as chocolate. That's just one of the many kinds of things that we can approach where we assume that we're, we're better off by doing this certain thing and our spirituality is tied to it. And we lose sight of God. Let's, let's obey this. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. If you're... If you're using barley green right now, God bless you. That just leaves more chocolate for me. If you're using essential oils, wonderful. Just stay away from me. <laughs> if, if you're homeschooling, great. If you're sending your kids to public school, great. It doesn't... Let's not pass judgment where Scripture does not judge. Let no one disqualify you. And he says, insisting on these certain things, asceticism and worship of angels. Now, Paul's getting into the, the worship of angels was idolatrous. And it was, it was, a, it was a pagan addition to these, these Jewish rituals. And so Paul's not just addressing the past and the shadow, he's addressing paganism and idol worship. And so he, he goes on to make sure that, that these folks don't do that. But we must be careful not to respond to, to others by being pressured to obey their rules and their regulations. We live in Christ and we live for Christ and we obey Christ and our rule of law, our commands are found right here. These evaluate us. James 1 says that we look at God's word and oftentimes we can look at it like a mirror and look in the mirror and when we look at it and then we go away, we forget what we have seen. The purpose of God's law is a mirror to look and say, oh, this is who I really am. This is what I am doing. This is what I am not doing. This is what God is requiring of me to do. This is who I obey. This is the, the mirror. And we can forget. Back in Atlanta, I was all of 40 three years old, and one of the young women in our church, she and her husband had their first child. So myself and one of the other pastors went to the hospital to visit her. I am 43 years old. I did mention that, right, at the time. And I walk into the hospital room, and the nurse is there, and she goes, oh, you must be a proud grandfather right now. <laughs> and I immediately looked in the mirror, because I'm thinking... 
did I miss something? <laughs> and, and I did. Because just a, a few weeks later, my daughter was in this, this musical and somebody was filming from the back and we saw the picture and I saw this man with this bald spot on his head. I thought, who is that? <laughs> and I found out who it was. And Marilyn says, oh yeah, it's been getting like that for years. <laughs> well, that's because I never look in the mirror like this. Legalism, bad. Law, good. That is what Paul is telling us here. And then, finally... The second question is, what is grace? Grace is the banner of what it means to be in Christ. The true antidote for legalism is our union with Christ, which propels us to live a transformed life in obedience to his command. Grace is not the freedom to live as I please. Grace is It gives us the liberty to live in such a manner to please God. Grace isn't this freedom to live the lifestyle I want. It's to live the holy life that God has called us to. Our union with Christ means, look at verse 17 of this passage These are the shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Verse 17, grace is all we need in Christ. He is our substance. All that we need is in Christ. Verse 19, he says, and not holding fast to the head. They did not hold fast to the head, but we hold fast to the head. Our union with Christ means all our nourishment is in Christ because when we hold to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligament grows with the growth that is from God. You want to grow? You hold fast to the head. Our union with Christ means in verse 20, all of our freedom For life is in Christ. Look at verse 20. If with Christ you died, well, if you are in Christ, you have died. As Romans 6 teaches us, we've been buried with him in baptism and we rise with him in resurrection. We've died to the elemental things of the world. We've died to the the desires of the flesh from the world. We've died to the things that we once reveled in and loved. We're dead to those things because we are in Him. We do have liberty in Christ. We do have liberty. And this is one of those areas where most pastors are very shy and reluctant to dive into because of the possibility of misunderstanding as well as um, it can tweak a few noses in the process. Um, I've never had trouble being shy. That's not been my problem. And so I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plow ahead. Um, 
we have the freedom to we have the freedom to drink alcohol. But we don't have the freedom to get drunk. We don't have the freedom to use alcohol in a way that distorts our view of God. We don't have that freedom. Yes, we have the freedom to use alcohol. We have the freedom to send our children to public school, private school, or homeschool. But we don't have the freedom to not parent our children. We have the freedom to dress in the styles of the day. But we don't have the freedom to dress immodestly, both men and women. The scriptures call us to be in the world, but not of the world. The scriptures teach us that we are to pursue holy living. The scriptures demand of us that the freedoms that we have, we use in an effort to, as Galatians 5.13 says, to serve others. We want to use our freedoms in Christ in a manner that glorifies Christ. I know we can often define legalism as somebody else not approving of my choices. That's not legalism. That's not legalism. That may, that may be happening and somebody else is not responsible to approve of your choices. That's a whole other message. Um, I better stop there. Let me say this. Legalism does not give us life. But neither does antinomianism. Neither does anti-law. Neither does this unbounded freedom give us life. Life is found alone in Him. He is the substance, Paul writes. The substance belongs to Christ. All these things, Paul writes in verse 23, they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. What stops the indulgence of the flesh is being in Christ and pursuing Christ and obeying Christ. Christ. And that's what chapter 3 and 4 will, will teach us. Listen, God, this is, if you leave with anything today, leave with this. God, God, not Larry Malament, God never intends to leave you the way he found you. Do you get that? When you came to Christ, kind of that's how, that's where he found you. He will never leave you the way He found you. He is transforming you. That is His loving promise to His church. That is His loving promise to His people, to His sons and His daughters. He rather intends to transform us because we're His children. And He delights in us and He loves us and He does this for our good. And the commands, the laws that we read about... Flee immorality. That's a command. 
God gives those things to us for our good. Forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. In Ephesians 4, that is a command. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That is a command. And they go on and on. And they are all for your good so that you will draw near to Christ. That you, as you draw near to Christ, you come to love him more and you come to be like him more. Application is pretty simple today. Two things that Paul earlier wrote in 2.6. He says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. In chapter 1, verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. Brothers and sisters, the the great, the great toil of Paul in this book, in this passage, is to remind you to bring you to a place where you are satisfied in Him and where you are at peace in Him and where you find the way to live in Him, not in man-made religion, not in self-made indulgence, but to find your way in Christ because He died for you. He came for you. He lived as you have lived. He sympathizes with you in all your weakness because the scripture says he has been tempted by these things in every way. There's nothing you are facing today that he has not faced. And he says to you today, walk in a manner worthy of the calling because you are in Him. Father, we thank You so much for this day, for this truth that we are in You, that Your Son dwells in us and we dwell in Him. Lord, may we, may we ever appreciate that day in and day out. May that never be far from our thinking. Lord, I, I pray for those this morning as well who have struggled with, with legalism and the fear of others and the pressure of others. Lord, would you give them not only your peace, but a courage and a boldness to respond in a humble but kind manner and firm Lord, free them from that slavery of living for others that they might live for you.